Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Judy Bloom's 1970 novel, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, was a staple of countless childhoods. But until now, it's never been adapted into a film. Like the book, the movie tells the story of a preteen girl who moves to New Jersey, makes new friends, and waits for the arrival of her period. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Be My Guest with Ina Garten, a podcast from Food Network. Intimate and captivating conversations with new and old friends. Jennifer Garner, Frank Bruni, Emily Mortimer, and more. Listen to Be My Guest wherever you get your podcasts. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us today is NPR senior editor Barry Hardiman. Hey, Barry. Hi there. Also joining us is film critic and senior film programmer at the Jacob Burns Film Center, Monica Castillo. Welcome back, Monica. So thrilled to be back. It is great to have you both here. So for the sake of those who haven't read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, or like me, haven't read it in about 40 years, it's a slice-of-life coming-of-age story about a sixth grader who faces some stressful changes in her life. In the film, which is set in 1970, Margaret is played by Abby Ryder Fortson. We meet Margaret shortly before her parents, played by Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie, inform her that the family is moving from New York City to a New Jersey suburb. This upsets both Margaret and Margaret's grandmother, who is played by Kathy Bates. The movie is a pretty faithful adaptation of the book. Margaret makes new friends, nurses a crush on a boy named Moose, waits impatiently for her body to change, and tries several different religions on for size. Her father is Jewish, her mom is Christian, and Margaret has been raised without religion, a fact that comes up when she meets her mother's estranged parents. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, who also wrote and directed The Edge of Seventeen. It's in theaters now, Monica Castillo. I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So I'm part of this in-between generation where we weren't allowed to read it. Judy Bloom was kind of banned from my library growing up in Florida. So this was one of my first real experiences of getting to see any of her stories. And I was so charmed. It is so darling. The cast is so impressive. And the story is still painfully relevant and relatable, even though it takes place in the 1970s. I loved it. And I'm so glad that it's on the big screen for a whole new generation to discover. Nice. How about you, Barry? I am part of the segment of the population that owns my copy still of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And so I went in with very high expectations and prepared to be disappointed. And boy, was I surprised because I absolutely loved this film. It did a beautiful job at correcting a couple of things in the book that could stand to be corrected. 
Um, it actually softened out some of the edges. The children in this film were masterful. There was not one child actor on the screen. It was all children. Rachel McAdams is so warm and lovely. I wanted her to be my mom. And Kathy Bates steals <laughs> every scene that she's in. Again, this is a character that they've changed a little bit from the book um, and sort of made her this sort of a mainstay of this particular family. And she just runs away with it. Again, this little girl playing Margaret is just stunning. What she's doing with her eyebrows and her shoulders is encompassing an entire world of sixth grade that um, I have a sixth grader. I see sixth grade girls and boys a lot. This was the most authentic thing I have ever seen. Wow. All right. How about you, Linda? Yeah, I'm afraid I have to just keep the train rolling. I <laughs> I also really loved this. I was somebody who read Margaret when I was young. It was already kind of an established classic book by the time I read it. What I really liked about the film is, just as Barry said, I think it maintains the integrity of the book, but also kind of adds to the book in some interesting ways. The building out of the character of Margaret's mother, mm -hmm. played again by Rachel McAdams, who's so good, I think does such a lovely job of explaining that in 1970, adult women were also in this position of, yeah. you know, thinking about who they wanted to be and how they wanted to fit into the world. And I think creating that parallel allows for some absolutely stunning scenes between uh, Abby Ryder Fortson playing Margaret and Rachel McAdams. There's a scene late in the film where they're on the couch together that I just think is such a, mm -hmm. there's so little dialogue. They trust those actors so much mm. to just be in that moment. And it is, it felt so genuine to me as a moment of bonding between Margaret and her mother. The other thing I would say is I'm so glad that they set it in 1970. Oh, me too. Because yeah. <laughs> I think there's always a risk of trying to consider a story like this universal. And it's very important to treat it as a story that isn't universal. It's broadly relatable in certain ways. But this is one story of one girl mm -hmm. in one place in one neighborhood. And I think leaving it in its moment rather than being like Margaret with a smartphone, Margaret with access to oh, the Internet, sure. keeps the focus on the fact that this is what it looked like for one kid, you know, in this kind of family. And I think doing that preserves, in a lot of ways, the specificity of the story in a way that is more genuine than if they had tried to make it like everyone everywhere can understand this experience because, mm -hmm. you know, kids everywhere wait for their periods and worry about their bodies. Like, right. But this is one girl and one girl's story. The last thing I will say before I stop prattling on about how much I loved this movie <laughs> is I really respect the way they maintain the integrity of the story about religion. Mm. Because I think yes. the fact that this is a story about puberty tends to dominate its legacy. And it is right there in the title, but it is a story about God. Mm -hmm. It is a story about a girl who is turning 12, and it is about her discovering essentially her entitlement to a relationship with God that is separate from organized religion, that's actually a pretty heady concept. And radical. Oh, yeah. And radical in some ways to a lot of people. And you can easily imagine that being kind of sanded down for the adaptation that focused more on the friends and the boys and the mm -hmm. bras and the we must increase our bust and all that stuff. 
I really like that they kept all the pieces, including that really complex story about Faith. Yeah, I I also loved this movie. And I'm so glad I loved this movie because mm. if I didn't, I would suddenly be the guy who's coming in being like, well, let me tell you, ladies, <laughs> why, why this story of a girl getting her period is wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah, but you've raised a teenage daughter. You I know? sure have. Mm-hmm. I sure have. And I also, I loved this book as a kid and I related to this book as a kid. I uh, obviously from a different perspective, but I was a kid who was raised uh, without religion and kind of went through some of this process of wondering kind of where I fit into the spiritual world. I did not think about it as deeply as Margaret does uh, and did not address it as as thoughtfully as as she does. But I did, I totally agree with everything all of you have said. I, I think, Linda, what you were saying about that great specificity creates a universal story uh, really, really comes through here. I love how small this story is, how the how the stakes are really, really contained. And yet it is as big as any coming-of-age story. And I think that's really beautiful. I loved what Barry said about Abby Ryder Fortson's performance here and how much work she's doing with her shoulders. It really reminded me of how much I loved the movie Eighth Grade, mm. which is kind of a similar kind of storytelling. It made me think about how Eighth Grade really has a debt to Judy Bloom in ways that I guess I hadn't really thought about before. I loved this film. I guess my next question is kind of, how and why Judy Bloom's stories haven't been translated into movies more often. I mean, it's sort of shocking, isn't it, that this book that came out 50 years ago is only getting its first screen adaptation now? I think that's something that's somewhat covered in the new documentary, Judy Bloom Forever. And it does talk a little bit about that. I think she was protective of Margaret and she didn't want, mm-hmm. you know, multiple TV adaptations. There were previous adaptations here and there over the years of different books. I think Forever had one. I think Tiger Eyes had one. Tiger maybe. Eyes oh, had one. I yeah. love Tiger Eyes. Fudge had a TV show. Oh, Fudge. That was the one. But yeah, I get the sense that this one, which was, I think, one of her first breakout, if not her first breakout, she wanted to hold on a little bit longer. And then now there seems like a little Judy Bloom revival. And, and it mm-hmm. especially kind of stands out to me because in the documentary, she also talks about like the book censorship and how that's come back around. And especially, you know, someone who did grow up in Florida and wasn't allowed to read her books because the school librarian deemed it too adult for us. Mm. That is continuing that thing that she's been fighting for decades now. And that's kind of interesting that other forms of media are kind of combating that in a way between the documentary and between this Uh, movie adaptation makes it more accessible for people. You know, I also think, you know, all of that is true, but we also have really focused on the kinds of coming of age stories that are more dangerous than this one. Do you know what I mean? Like the ones where there maybe isn't a loving family. And those are, by the way, important adaptations as well. But I think that would often, you know, I'm thinking of the movie um, 13, you know, with Evan Rachel Wood. And there's a kind of like, you don't know how bad it is film that kind of rose to the forefront. And in some ways, it sort of squeezed out what one hopes is the ideal, really, experience for young girls. But it also, I think some of it is that, you know, not much happens in this film. I mean, one thing, like, you look at the plot architecture, not much happens. You know, spoiler alert, she does, you know, get her period. Um, but, you know, it's a series of of sort of smaller stories about relationships with God, relationships with your family, relationships with your friends. 
And apart from the Babysitter's Club, which, by the way, this has a lot in common with the adaptation of the Babysitter's Club on television, which was canceled for, I'll never get over it. But, you know, I, I think, again, like, this is a small story. And, you know, there's still so much sort of hyperventilating and in some ways with good reason about how dangerous it is to be a kid. There's a lot more warning than there is than celebrating. And this is a celebrator, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think that one thing about this film is that Abby Ryder Fortson just turned 15. So she was 14 when they filmed this, which is much closer to an actual turning 12-year-old than Hollywood will often give you. Yeah. I think one thing that has happened is there has been more interest when you're making coming-of-age stories. There has been more interest in a little bit later teenagers, Mm -hmm. like the Stranger Things stuff, but also like Whip It and, you know, some of the really wonderful stuff about growing up has been older, Mm -hmm. on the older side. I think about something like, it's not a film a lot of people talk about, but I think about something like Adventureland, which Mm. uh, Jesse Eisenberg and and Kristen Stewart were in, which is, by the way, a terrific movie. It was just, it was kind of sold as a super bad movie, and it's not a super bad movie. Mm -hmm. It's a really wonderful, interesting coming-of-age movie. But again, older teenagers. And I think one thing about this is, How do you tell the story of girls who, when you look at them, they are really young. How do you kind of tell that story in a way that has enough appeal to, like, not just little kids? And I think Hollywood is not necessarily great at making those those real middle grady kinds of adaptations. I think yeah. about stuff like Everything Sucks, which was a show on on Netflix oh, yeah. that we loved. It's tricky to make those kind of in-between adaptations. And I think when you combine that with Judy Bloom's, uh, as Monica was mentioning, protectiveness of Margaret, I think that may be why you didn't see it before now. But But what a joy, I think, to see it have an adaptation that is, again, true to the book and yet expands upon the book. Um, Barry, check me on this. Do you agree with me that they kind of round out the character of the mom? But they give her a, it's not that they give her a backstory. They give her an inner life of her own that is also not heavy. It it mirrors to a certain extent what's happening with Margaret, but not in a heavy handed way. Like it wasn't until I walked away that I was like, oh, her struggles with the PTA are much like her daughter's (laughs) struggles with her friends. You know what I mean? (laughs) In fact, I'm thinking of one specific moment where she's, because she's an artist and she's struggling with her relationship to that, where she has this moment where she's feeling inspired, where you really get to see who this woman is as a woman, not in relationship to her child, not in her relationship to plot architecture or her husband. By the way, the husband is a darling. He has maybe like four scenes. He's so darling. And they're a couple. Like they have yeah. a built relationship, which I also really liked. Oh, when he pulls out that 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 chair and sits it down in the living room, <sighs> I mean, I couldn't stop grinning during this film, you guys. I wanted to hug my family. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linda mentioned that there aren't necessarily a ton of movies and TV shows that talk about this particular age. And I, I imagine part of that just comes from the challenges in casting. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you're trying to cast somebody who is on the verge of something, you run the risk of the actor crossing that verge mm-hmm. in the time that it takes to develop and, and shoot a movie. And I, I think they did such a beautiful job in, with the casting of this film. I did want to ask you guys one of the questions that I kind of had going into this movie, which was, who is it for? Is this movie for 
kids of this age? Is this an early exercise in nostalgia, like where teenagers would feel Mm. nostalgia for the time they were this age? Is this for people like several of us who grew up reading these books? Whom do you feel should be most excited about this film? I'm going to start with you, Monica. Oh, boy. I did want to give a quick shout out, by the way, to the Gordita Chronicles, because I think it also captures this time. And just that sense of all the changes that are happening and and that weird in-between spot in people's lives. Mm. Um, But in terms of the audience, my goodness, as someone who didn't have nostalgia for these stories and I immediately, you know, walked out of the screening beaming, um, I think it is so accessible for multiple people. And I love to hear that, you know, folks are going in groups and people are taking different generations. I think it has the capability of connecting with a lot of different groups. Whatever the gender of your kids may be, I think you could take kids younger than this. Absolutely. Um, You could Mm -hmm. take kids this age. You could take kids older than this, and they would, I think, have a little bit of that, like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember that. And absolutely, adults, date night, particularly when you include those lovely performances from Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie and the and the mm. great Kathy Bates, who I think Ugh. inhabits this part of the fun grandma without getting lost in a wacky grandma mm-hmm. caricature. Yes. Such a good way to She's put it. So good. You know, I am I'm gonna take my nine-year-old to it on on Friday as well. And I think the more younger kids see this, actually, there's something normalizing. All of the stuff that's happening. So for my youngest, it's going to be like, oh, things are hard for my brother, you know? And also, menstruation exists, you know? (laughs) I look forward to fielding those questions. But I remember watching Big Mouth and thinking, God, I wish I could watch this with my kids now, which I absolutely (laughs) emphatically cannot. This is the movie that I wanted, that expressed, that was radical in a lot of ways, but not in the slapsticky, you know, very adult way that Big Mouth is. Yeah. One more thing I do want to say, just really shout out to people who are looking for an amazing binge. The old Wonder Years, and the new one is wonderful mm-hmm. too, but there's only one series. This reminded me so much of the old Wonder Years, which really, really holds up. There are a couple of episodes that, you know, do feel old-fashioned, but again, because it is set in the 70s, it feels a little more of its time. But again, dealing with a lot of these issues, the triumphs and tragedies that are so huge but may seem minor um, in a gentle, loving way. Try to get the DVDs, though, because they ruined all the music on Hulu. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hate when it happens. <laughs> the other thing I appreciated about this film as a thing for younger kids, and it's kind of related to what Barry is saying, I like the way that these kids are talking to each other about bodies and sex and things like that. And they have these these reactions to things sometimes that are like, I'm sorry, what? And I think, (laughs) like, even when I was really quite young, I had a kid basically explain to me how sex worked, (laughs) another small kid. And I remember my reaction was like, what? (laughs) Why would you do that? Funniest, like, and I think it gets at that kind of even when you're a little bit older, that bafflement. Yeah. And I really liked that there's a lot of laughing. It's not a matter of the girls all being just like, oh, how horrifying and frightening and all that stuff. There's just a mm-hmm. lot of this kind of giggly, like, what? I very much appreciated that about the film. All right. So we have given people a recommendation for this film. See this film. We've given people a recommendation for eighth grade. Yes. Babysitter's Club. Gordita Chronicles, 
Uh, Wonder Years, we've set you on a path <laughs> full of rich recommendations. Also, bring on the Judy Bloom cinematic universe. Oh, oh, yes. Please do. I joked with Linda after this was over. I wanted a post-credit sequence, uh, kind of setting up forever. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, a stinger. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love it. I, you know, I actually one thing that was so darling is, you know, Judy Bloom is actually in this film. She walks by. And then I both pointed. She yeah, and she <laughs> like she she makes eye contact with the camera in this way that kind of made me think like it had a Marvel quality to it where she almost breaks the fourth wall where I was like, oh, we are going to get more. She's the Stanley of the JBCU. <laughs> yeah. We want to know what you think about Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Barry Hardiman, Monica Castillo. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Thank you. Before we go, I did want to uh, say a quick word about our beloved producer, Candace Lim. This is Candace Lim's last episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour, which breaks my heart, mm-hmm. but excites me because there is some wonderful, wonderful news yet to be reported. I cannot tell you how sad I am she's leaving, but how delighted I am that she has a new adventure coming. Yeah, and boy, it's a good one. Candace, you rock. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Candace Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. And those at Delta are travelers just like you. That's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.